Good afternoon and welcome back to Ag Watchers. We've got another two guests today. We've got Brittany Golder from Robe and we've got Laura Sachs from Robe as well. Uh, and uh, Laura is uh, a fellow Scot, so uh, you know, we might need two sets of subtitles tonight. Uh, so Brittany and Laura, uh, first of all, Brittany, can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what you do at Robe. Oh, so um, you can call me Britt, Britt Calder. I am the seed merchant at Robe, so accumulate all the canola seed. The best job, I'd say. And you're based up in Wagga, yeah? Yeah, I'm at Wagga at the plant. Yeah. So, so things are looking pretty, we'll go into that in a little bit, but things are looking pretty good up there at the moment. Things are looking magical at the moment, for sure. And, and Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I am the commodity manager at Robe. I joined there quite recently in the last seven weeks. Um, so Britt reports to me and my role is really driving the commodity strategy there. Um, I'm currently sitting in London waiting to relocate back over to Australia, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, thanks COVID. Um, but yeah, that's a bit about me. As you can hear, I'm from Scotland originally. As as, you, as as all our eagle-eyed listeners will tell, she's from <laughs> East Renfrewshire by the accent. Correct. And um, and yeah, so so fourteen days of isolation in the yeah, that's going to be great fun. I'm actually looking forward to having some downtime, catch up on sleep. Yeah, work working working Australian hours in in London is is, is not advisable. So tell us a bit about Riverina or Robe. What do you guys do? Yeah, so um, Robe stands for Riverina Oils and Bioenergy. Um, so we are a crusher and refiner of, of oil seeds, predominantly canola. So we crush about 200,000 tonnes of canola per annum. Um, and from that, we produce canola meal, which goes to animal feed and canola oil, refined and crude, which goes to the food service, chemicals market, both domestically and exported. And in terms of the plant, so your plant, is it an expeller or extract plant? Both. Both. <clears throat> Both. Um, yeah, we have an expeller market, so it's segregated. Oh, we do a blend. So, yeah, we run expeller and then the remainder goes to the solvent extract extraction okay. plant. Yeah. Well, so you got both. Because it's more more attractive to have the expeller for animal feed, isn't it? Because it's got more more oil. Is that right? I think so. No. Ah, oh, well, uh, the extraction gets what the expeller can't. Yeah. I suppose the expeller is probably more of a. Um, it's probably seen as a healthier or cleaner oil. I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, so I guess <clears throat> you you guys are a major major crusher, and you're in New South Wales. And we sort of alluded to it before that things are looking pretty good in New South Wales, the way the crop's going. What's, what are you sort of seeing as the outlook for the Aussie canola? And, and what, what do you think is going to happen with the market sort of in general terms? Um, well, I'll touch on it briefly with regards to the sort of overall outlook. And then perhaps Britt can talk a bit more about what's happening on the ground since she's physically there. Um, but obviously the outlook for the Australian canola crop 
is really positive. I mean, we've gone through a few years of, of drought and not good crops. And so this year, canola is looking, you know, our bears are calling the, the crop size plus 3 million tonnes. Um, so it's looking, you know, much better than it has the last few years, super positive in, in that sense. And I mean, we're located in a nice spot, obviously, where we are in, with respect to canola and uh, bringing that into the plant. So that's, that's definitely positive. Um, Britt, I don't know if you want to touch on a bit around uh, grower sentiment and what's happening there physically on the ground. Yeah, for sure. So obviously we're, we're truly in the heartland of, of canola country and it is, it's looking magic. Um, I mean, there's patches here and there that might have missed out on a storm or whatever, but even still they're having the best season, well, at least since 2016 and then for a long time prior to that. So um, everyone's super positive. It's going to, yeah, I think it's going to be a bumper for sure. Yeah. And it looks that way. And it's only the start of September, so but touch wood and things will things will produce quite quite a decent crop. But the other interesting thing is that the, the pricing seems to be holding up pretty strongly at the moment. And you got you got any insights into into what's holding that price up and keeping things you know, compared to the other commodities, canola is looking pretty well priced, you know, for for, for a good year. Yeah, definitely. Well, globally, I suppose, um, oil seeds are in high demand. So we're really pricing off the Europe market. Um, Matif is super strong. So, so long as that stays up, we're really trading at export parity, um, which puts a, puts a, a floor in our prices, I suppose. So, um, they're, they're holding extremely strong and it looks very good against the wheat in the valley for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I reckon that's, that's what we're going to see in, in terms of the growers as we come into harvest. It makes the like, typically canola is sold before everything else, but especially so when prices are, you know, pretty like you say, magic really in terms of pricing levels. And and again, it looks like Europe is going to be a major importer. So mm. it's. I mean, it's been really, really dry in Europe. I mean, I can vouch for that having been here, but it's been really dry in Europe and definitely uh, looks like yeah the the crop there is you know it's going to need some some canola coming in definitely um and then you obviously have the issues as well around canada with the the ban into china and Mm. so on um and the yeah the chinese seed issue so there's a yeah there's a lot happening around that with the the global markets and the geopolitical um tensions and so on definitely yeah, so that's an interesting one. That Canada one, with the because Canada, Canada's dropped its its canola acreage this year, hmm. and typically, I guess, there's not been a huge volume going into Europe from Canada hmm. compared compared to Canada and to China because you can't market the meal quite as well if you're crushing it in in Europe. Hmm. But in terms of in terms of robe, where where are your main markets then? The export or domestic? Or a bit of obviously a bit of both, but on the on the on the oil. Yep. So Brett, you might want to touch on this a bit as well, but I mean a bit of both. Um, 
domestically we have just launched today so this podcast is quite nice timing Whoa. um <laughs> our <laughs> our foray into the the food service solution with um our good drop uh product um Brett, i don't know if you want to touch a bit on that since Brett's been out on the road today on the the good drop uh side so that's on the oil and you probably will see a bit on the tv on that in the next couple of days as well but Brett, did you want to give a bit of a short overview on, on good drop yeah so we've just we've just launched our good drop program which is um a food service product and will feature primarily in our local food service industry so probably most pubs clubs restaurants especially in walker um i would say would be frying in good drop oil in not so long at all um it's going to be the best frying oil the canola is grown in the riverina it's it's manufactured in the riverina it, it doesn't you know it doesn't get much better for the guys cooking our our pub dinners and restaurant meals around here um but, but, yeah and but, it's a but, trolley but, system which it, it's super convenient you wheel it in they keep the trolley pump it in straight into their fries it's so really the premium the premium frying oil Pro- probably not going to see it in victoria in restaurants anytime soon well that's the problem now <laughs> our marketing team's stuck down there hence why i was on the road <laughs> in terms of um you just touched on there with the victorian uh, issues but in terms of your sourcing of the canola coming in to the to the crush plant and that is that um have you got obviously western district victoria you get some coming from there as well i presume in south australia it's not just around that riverina that you're sourcing or is it, is it reasonably low? Because you know a breakdown roughly per year in terms of what, what you take from where? Yeah, in a normal year, 100% of our canola will come from within a 100-kilometre radius. So super close. Uh, we, we are surrounded by canola. There is no need for us to shop any further than that. Um, in saying that, I've only worked two harvests with Robe and they're probably the two worst harvests that we've had in some time. <laughs> and, yeah, we've been you know, shopping in Western districts, even as far as South Australia, which is uncommon. And in a normal year like this, when we are pricing at export parity, they are so far out of the market for us. I mean, that is much better going to export where we're much better off sourcing, you know, in our own backyard. And if we have the opportunity to do that, we will 100% do that. Um, it's cheaper for us. It's better for our growers when um, we can give back in that way and, and pay them a premium because we can afford to do so. And in terms of, we're obviously, we're, we're, we're not far off from harvest, really. Like, I'm guessing people will be windrowing in, what, a couple of weeks' time? Oh, um, yeah, probably. Oh, probably yeah, close like, to us, maybe six weeks. Yeah. yeah. And are you guys getting, you, you can, you, it might be commercial in confidence, but I'll ask the question anyway. You don't have to answer it. <laughs> Are you guys getting many purchases on your books at the moment? Is the grower actually an active seller at the current market or are they holding off? Yeah, no. So I think COVID's played a bit of a part in this as well in that um, our Aussie dollar obviously suffered March, April. And when things were looking really good, when we were sitting down around 55 cents to the US dollar, uh, our the C price was super strong and that attracted a bit of grower selling. So it sort of got the ball rolling. Uh, since then we've, we've seen a lot. Uh, it's been quite surprising, especially considering we're talking about canola being the cash crop at harvest time. Some of our, our deferred delivery books, I think is our most impressive 
I thought we were going to struggle to convince people, you know, to store their canola rather than their barley, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. Okay. And we're, we're, we're very flexible, you know, receiver of the grain. We work with the growers best we can. It, it suits them to deliver us during the year. And, and it really shows on our, on our purchases. Uh, the selling's been really strong. I'm happy with where we're sitting at the minute. So a lot of, so you, you would typically be trying to, I guess, buy direct from the farmer and have them store on farm rather than through the system wherever possible. Are you finding plenty of growers are storing canola on farm or is, is that not an issue? Yeah, yeah, I can answer this if you like. <laughs> um, we definitely plug our deferred delivery um, if it can come straight from the grower, that's ideal for us. We know exactly where it's come from. We know who's grown it. We know exactly what variety we're getting. We can really track it, you know, back to the paddock. Uh, we'd much rather do that than buy from, you know, the big bulk handler, I suppose. We still have, we definitely still store off site at, at some of our chosen locations, but to get it from the growers, our bread and butter for sure. And, and in terms of your purchasing, would that be, a lot of it's going to be non-GM, but obviously most New of it definitely. But New South Wales and and Victoria obviously does allow for cultivation of GM crops. Do you guys do you guys put a price out for GM as well, or or just non-GM? Yeah, we're buyers of both GM and non-GM. I mean, our GM seg is very small compared to our non-GM, and I probably see that as more of a grower service. We we have created the markets to sell the meal and sell the oil and completely segregate, crush separately, obviously store separately. Um, I would say more so as a service to our growers that do have those, you know, GM growing requirements. There is a home here for it. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing. The volume is still for GM is relatively small and it's usually just yeah. used as a, as an agronomic tool really to help mm. clean up paddocks, which, which is beneficial in the longer term. Definitely. And I mean, there's yeah the the canola around us is primarily non-gm so it's it's not a huge need there's not a huge need there for gm but the guys that do have it yeah there's a home here for it for sure that's handy that's handy and in terms of one of one of the things that we've been looking at a lot recently is um international trade flows and and one of the big issues that comes up a lot is is sustainability and obviously with the likes of europe uh, we're most likely we're going to have a lot of canola going into Europe this year. And so like years and years ago in a previous life, I was involved in a lot of sustainability sort of things for things like PAM and a bit on the red uh, canola sustainability for uh, what was it called? 2BS and ISCC for the, the sort of sustainable canola supply chains into into Europe. Are you guys involved in that in terms of ensuring that you're, uh, I suppose you're doing the oil, so it might not count as much, would it? Or have I just answered my own question? <laughs> I think you may have answered your own question. Uh, Brett, do you have any uh, further comment on that? Yeah, question? no, I think we saved the sustainability saga for the exporters i suppose oh uh, yeah because you yeah that was a stupid question for me because <laughs> you guys aren't exporting seed you're exporting correct 
so you don't necessarily need so in terms of but in, can i just can in, I, i'm going to jump in and cut you off sorry yeah, <laughs> um, on. just on the sustainability piece though i think that's an interesting topic just around on the product side and looking at what's happened with covid and you know potentially you'll see a lot of consumers in the market looking towards more of a sustainable food source or feed source and you know there's been a lot of discussions with industry bodies around this as well um you know is it sustainable to bring in soybean meal which is coming halfway across the world versus you know canola meal that's produced in australia or is it so sustainable is palm oil sustainable versus canola oil you know so it's a hot topic at the moment um and especially, you know, considering what's happened with COVID as well and looking at, you know, countries wanting to have more secure food sources and so on and sustainable food sources. With, you know, we saw all the stockpiling happening with COVID and, you know, Russia and Ukraine. I mean, I'm going a bit off topic here, but, you know, at the, the height of COVID, we saw Russia and Ukraine talking about potentially um, having some export quotas there on wheat you know, so I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a big thing to look at and especially off the back of COVID now as well and what's happened there. I think some people, some countries have learned some lessons there and yeah, looking at sustainability and food security. So I guess in terms of sustainability, it's always been an interesting topic because it's sustainability means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And the word is quite a loaded word probably more so in agriculture than anywhere else. But I guess from Rob's point of view, what does sustainability mean? And, and, and I guess, what do you do to effectively make sustainable supply chain of, of oils for you know, food services customers or, or general oil customers? So in terms of security of supply or? Just sustainability in general. I'll leave that one open to you. <laughs> Thanks. Now, in, in terms of like how, how do you if, if you've got a customer let's say for instance i'll just pick a name um big food services company with with golden arches on them or makes chicken fried chicken i won't use names but I'll give you a clue uh how do you how do you say to them that you've got a sustainable product and how, how do you keep them happy from a i guess an esg point of view well, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of discussion there, and perhaps this is not the time to get too much into it. But there's a lot of discussion there, kind of what I just touched on with regards to, and with the Good Drop project as well. That's a lot about you know farm to plate and having those Australian grown products that, or the Australian grown seed or crop or whatever that's then um, converted into a product that you know has not travelled halfway around the world to get here. It's, it's grown in Australia, it's produced in Australia. It's, you know, arguably a much more sustainable source than other products. I suppose that's... That answers your question. Yeah, but I, I, guess, I guess in the last couple of weeks, we've actually seen an enhancement to those little barcodes on, on food, the ones that show how much of a particular product is Australian. Mm. So it's now it's been expanded to like so some of the major food retailers like McDonald's and I think KFC 
now show, if you look on their little screens, it'll tell you how much of that particular burger is made in Australia. Mm. And so oils are obviously one component of that. And I guess mm. in the future, these food services companies will look to increase and try and get that sort of barometer as close to 100% Australian as possible because it is it is a good selling point. You know, yep. I think more and more, and you're right, COVID is probably doing that, is telling people that, you know, we want locally produced goods, especially if, you know, clearly if, if we're running out of stuff on the shelf, we'll eat anything. But I think in the longer term, as an affluent country, we'll, we'll prefer to eat local produce. I just jump in there when you say we're running out of stuff on the shelves and we'll eat anything. I think... Uh, no, if, knows it. If, if we run out of stuff on the shelf. <laughs> well, I, I did know I did know we ran out of meat for a little while there. All the alternative uh, fake meats were still sitting there on the shelves, but um, that's probably for another, for another podcast. <laughs> and I've still got six cans of haggis in the pantry. Oh, have you? I was going to say, do you want me to bring some over with me when I fly back, bring you some... Yeah, no? I, would like, I would like that. Matt would have some. I, I eat haggis, so nothing wrong with haggis. Bring a few cans of haggis. Canned haggis. Mm. I've Can- never even heard of haggis. <laughs> oh, Brett, okay. I'm definitely going to bring some then. That can be my joining gift to the team. Not necessary. I hope you get hungry in 14-day quarantine. <laughs> you, you, you can, Laura, just, just, so you're, uh, just so you're aware, before you leave the UK, you can buy it from Iceland for oh. for pound 20 per cup. oh wow it's okay it's high quality stuff nice although, although you do get some questions by uh, customs when you walk through iceland's uh, a brand in iceland's a brand over there not the country iceland you yeah I, iceland is a, a shop I, yeah I, iceland uh, is a high class uh, <laughs> food store a bit like harrods but yeah is a pound you. 20 is a pound 20 expensive no, that's like oh cheap. Yeah, it's, it's like two dollars. It's probably cheaper than dog food, and and but less nutritious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you yeah, you've you've given me an idea now. I'm going to bring some haggis for the team to try when I join over. It's, it's good quality stuff. I'm glad you're stuck in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess is there anything else you guys want to cover off on? Um, I think that was the main points. I mean, yeah, the crop looks great this year. Um, it's good to sort of give you guys an overview on what we do. Um, the sustainability piece certainly is a is a big discussion point. Um, we could talk about that some more, but we might be here all night or all day for me is fine, but you guys probably want to <laughs> go to bed soon. <laughs> no, we're, we're good. Uh, so can I, in terms of your meals, so this is probably one for, for Matt. In terms of, well, it's not for Matt, it's for Matt to learn from you. <laughs> uh, so, so the last couple of years have been sort of really pretty quite hard <clears throat> in terms of the drought and lack of supply of feeds. And, and canola meal is, is a very important feed product because it's got good digestible energies, etc. Are you starting to see, is the canola meal price starting to come down or are, are we, is the canola meal price still well supported? Well, when you look at um, what's happening with soy at the moment, so obviously we had the WASDE report come out on Friday 
was very bullish for soy. I mean, today soy is up significantly versus last week. So, you know, that is arguably supportive to canola meal prices when you look at that on a on a relativity basis. And I mean, looking at what's happening in the US right now, so they're in drought conditions. So arguably soy will stay quite firm for the the near term until we, you know, get into the, the new South American crops later next year. Um, so that is certainly um, supportive for for canola, definitely canola meal. An attempt, but but at this year, there's definitely there's not there's been issues of access to actual supply during the last two years, but this year we're liable to see supply is not necessarily going to be as big an issue locally, mm. per se, because there's going to be a decent amount of of, of volume crushed through through the country. So so yeah, that, that was interesting. So what we'll probably do is we'll probably leave it there, and we'll play the outro music which uh, which is a hit and miss affair, whether people like that mu- music or not. <laughs> but we'll leave you to tell us later whether you like it or not. But thanks for coming on. Thanks, Laura, for coming from, from the UK. And we'll have to catch up when you're, when you're back over here. And thanks Brit, for staying up late. <laughs> and, and Britt, thanks for coming along and letting us know what's happening in, in your neck of the woods. Thanks for having me. And, and Matt, <laughs> thanks for uh, pretty much staying silent for the whole time. <laughs> I was just thinking we'll have to we might be able to catch up over a haggis and a and a wee dram or something uh, when we can finally meet in person. Sounds good. good. Sounds good to me. Your, your yeah, best, thanks, thanks. Your best one pound twenty haggis <laughs> and, and, and a bottle of Grant's vodka. Hey, Grant's whiskey. <laughs> oh, Grant's. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, for thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.